gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Carousel Podcast, the Armature Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Hello, guys, gals, and other groovy whatevers. Welcome to another exciting episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we've got a fun little story to talk about. But first, I need to mention that this episode is sponsored by InStock Trades. Be sure to follow InStock Trades on Twitter, and you'll receive notices on the deals of the week. Now that the holidays are around the corner, this is a great site to do some holiday shopping, and shipping is free for for orders over $50. The New Year's Resolution Sale is still going on this month, where DC, Marvel, Image, and Dark Horse trades are 45% off, plus there's a separate IDW Doctor Who sale uh, where their trades are also 45% off. You can check those all out at InStockTrades.com. Now, first up, we've got feedback. And this one is a response to episode 83, which, of course, was the last episode. Wipe your eyes and turn that frown upside down. I'm back. Sorry I haven't been commenting lately. Household disasters seem to have happened all at once. Bats, air conditioning going out, lawnmower stopped working. I know that's no excuse, but I'm back now. Really, nothing else to add to my comments about Superman vs. Muhammad Ali. The issue was awesome. Michael Bradley was awesome. The commentary was awesome. What am I, chop liver? Anyway, Superman vs. Shazam was another great uh, episode. I still haven't gotten that oversized comic yet. I have always been a Captain Marvel fan, even dressed up as him for Halloween one year as a kid. Don't lie, Russell. I know that you did it last year. And it's always great when you and J. David Weeder get together. Episode 83, Let My People Grow, Superman 338, has been always been one of my favorites. I did get this comic back when it was originally released in May of 79, but I no longer have my original copy. I still do have one, though. By the way, the story was reprinted in the best of DC comic digest 59 and in the trade paperback entitled superman the bottle city of candor 
I'm glad you mentioned the supermobile. I was wondering why Superman didn't use it during the supernova mission, but your point is valid as well about building a rocket when he could have used the supermobile. Why do some have such a problem with the supermobile? I think it's a great piece of machinery. I know Superman doesn't usually need a vehicle, but it's there when he does. As you were going through the ads and came to the fruit stripe gum item search, we were going you were going through the items to find uh, for like three oranges, three lemons, etc. I thought for sure you were going to end your re recitation with a partridge in a pear tree. Um, this is me going off. I had that in my notes. I just forgot because I wasn't looking at the notes when I was going through the ads. So that's a that's a shame, really. Here's some info on the on the 1943 copper penny. According to the American numismatic numismatic. According to the American Numismatic Association, the 1943 copper alloy cent is one of the most idealized and potentially one of the most sought-after items in American numismatics. Nearly all circulating pennies in that time were struck in zinc-coated steel because copper and nickel were needed for the Allied war effort. An estimated 40 examples are believed to have been struck, with 12 confirmed to exist. The error occurred when copper platchlets were left in the press hopper and press machines during the changeover from copper to steel blanks. Examples were discovered after the war with the first two in 1947 and another in 1958. An example was first sold in 1958 for $40,000. One mint condition specimen sold for over $200,000 in 2004. Wow. $40,000 in 1958 would... Wow. I couldn't come up with my favorite kryptonite story, but I did come up with a possible favorite for next time. How about what Bronze Age Superman tale would you like reimagined for a story today? Or, if that's too tough, what Bronze Age tale or story arc would you like to see as an animated movie? That's about all I got for now. Eagerly awaiting your next episode, Russell Bragg. Well, Russell, thank you again for writing in. Per your questions, I... I don't know the big deal about the Supermobile, probably just because of the fact that Superman having a vehicle of any kind seems redundant, the same way Spider-Man having a vehicle of some kind is redundant. Uh, Spider-Man swings all over the place. He has no need for a car. It would just hamper him. Superman flies everywhere. He doesn't need a rocket ship. Granted, maybe he does more than Spider-Man needs a car, but, you know, most of the time he doesn't. Uh, let's see. Again, thank you for the info about the pennies. You, once again, have gone above and beyond doing research for a show you aren't even on. So, that's awesome, and I want to thank you. You, you might as well be my co-host. Uh, let's see. Well, speak, before we get into the new question of the week, let's look at the old question of the week. So, the previous question of the week. What is your favorite Superman story involving kryptonite? Well, I posted that up on Facebook, and here are the responses I got. Jonathan Hoyle writes, Absolutely, the Superman Nevermore saga in Superman 233. Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast, writes, Whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? I know kryptonite wasn't a main plot point, but it did play a small but key role at the end. Good point. Uh, Fan Boyamus Prime writes, K, the search for kryptonite in Superman Batman. Okay. Alan Middleton, sorry, Professor Alan Middleton writes, Lex Luthor losing his hand from the kryptonite ring. Not a story itself, but a long-term plot point. 
very good. And of course, Professor Allen has uh, the book guy show that he does. He's got his Quarterbin podcast. And he does of a, a show with his daughter called Short Box Showcase. Uh, and those you can find over at the Relatively Geeky Network of Shows. Andy Leyland from Hey Kids Comics writes, Superman breaks loose because Superman eating kryptonite is cool. I'm sorry, I didn't say it with the accent, Andy. Chris Keith writes, Many would say Dark Knight over Metropolis, but I like the story with Batman and Lois Lane where they had to steal Luther's kryptonite ring back from the White House. Uh, President Luther. So much fun. Actually, you're the first one to mention Dark Knight over Metropolis. Both are good choices, by the way. Thank you, Chris. And our last response is from David Riley. I like the one where Superman is laying helpless by a chunk of kryptonite, and he somehow knows that someone with the initials LL will save him. Turns out it's a Little League baseball player that saves him. I don't remember too many of the details because it's been years since I've read it. I believe that's a Silver Age story. And that's been years since I read it, too. But, but thank you for writing in, David. All right. Now, as Russell mentioned, next week's question. I believe I've already asked about the Bronze Age tale reimagined for today. So we'll do the next one. Which Bronze Age Superman tale or story arc would you like to see as an animated movie? You can write in at superbronze1970 at gmail.com or respond when I post it up on Facebook. And hopefully I'll remember to do it more than just a day before I'm going to record the podcast. That would be really helpful. And uh, before we get into the comic, let's listen to a couple promos. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Oh my god, I'm J. David Weeder. I haven't podcasted for 36 hours. I need to make a podcast. I have to do this. Maybe something Golden Age. I need a partner. Golden Age, podcast obsessed. Got it. John's John's Toilets and Toiletries. John, we need to make a new podcast. A new podcast? I haven't podcasted in a whole day. I need a new podcast. Well, I've been listening to a lot of David Bowie lately. Let's do Starman and his Golden Age adventures. Ooh, who, who was the artist on Starman? What's that Jack Burnley? Yes, we should cover Jack Burnley's run on Adventure Comics and Starman. Okay, I have just the perfect guy because I know another guy who loves Jack Burnley. So let me call Charlie Niemeyer and see if we can get him on a three-way here. Hi, what's up? Charlie. Charlie. Ah. We need you to do a limited series podcast monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Are you available? Uh, monthly? Well, Starman, that's Jack Burnley, right? Oh, heck yes, I'm available. This podcast is go. The Starman Observatory, covering Starman's Golden Age adventures. Monthly at starmanobservatory.blogspot.com. Together from the disparate reaches of geekdom, here in this restaurant booth are the most powerful forces of geek ever assembled. Ryan, the toy geek. Scott, the award-winning radio host. Jeff, Scott's minion. Ron, just Ron, dedicated to truth, justice, and geek for all mankind, it's dinner for geeks.
Dinner for Geeks proudly crusades at twotruefreaks.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Today's issue is Action Comics number 514, which has a cover date of December 1980 and an on-sale date of September 25th, 1980, which would be a month and four days after I was born. It sported a cover price of 50 cents, and the and it also has a backup feature uh, starring Airwave teaming up with The Atom, which I will not be covering this issue, or this episode. The title of the story is Countdown of the Killer Computer, written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Ciaramonte, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Gene D'Angelo, and edited by Julie Schwartz. And Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Returning to Metropolis after saving a small village from a raging typhoon, Superman spots a train crash on the Metro Bridge. He catches one train, but when the other one falls off the bridge as well, he uses a blast of super breath to ease it back up on the track. When a quick scan of the train cars reveals that a few passengers require immediate medical attention, he prepares for a trip to Metropolis General Hospital. Meanwhile, in Alaska, American nuclear missiles launch targeted for Moscow. Back in Metropolis, Superman leaves the hospital, wondering why the train computers didn't alert the engineers in time to stop the collision. As he flies toward the WGBS building, he notices a traffic snarl caused by malfunctioning traffic lights, but before he can investigate, his super hearing picks up Lois Lane screaming help from a plummeting elevator inside the WGBS building. With no time for subtlety, Superman smashes through the roof and catches the elevator by the cables, slowly lowering it to the next floor. While he checks on Lois and notices the computer override in the elevator controls, we switch our view to Superman's fortress, where a voice from inside the fortress exclaims that it has begun and that soon Superman and the Earth will be destroyed. Back at WGBS, Lois tries to ask Superman something, but gets interrupted when Superman picks up the ultrasonic signal from Jimmy's signal watch. When he gets to Jimmy's office, Jimmy starts to inform him that the NSA, or the National Security Agency, needs the, needs the Man of Steel. But before he can finish his sentence, Superman is already in the skies over Washington and landing at the Pentagon, where he's surprised to see the president in attendance. He's informed of the missiles heading towards Moscow and is also informed that Russian nukes are also heading for D.C. And the president pleads with the Man of Steel to save the world. You know because it's not quite lunchtime yet. So Superman flies off, heading to Moscow, arriving just in time for the missiles to detonate over the Presidium, which is apparently the, the Soviet version of Congress. Flying around the blast at more than twice the speed of light, Superman is able to channel the blast back in time to the Precambrian Age, where the blast can't hurt anyone because life hasn't formed on Earth yet. Returning to the present, he sees that DC is safe as well, so he heads up to the JLA satellite to congratulate Hawkman for succeeding in stopping the Russian missiles. See, a page earlier, Superman had used his JLA communicator, we just didn't realize it because of the subtle way it was drawn. So, with computer trouble escalating all over the world, Superman decides to head over to his fortress, and the one computer that can't be tempered with. His supercomputer. You had to see that one coming. But when he places the giant key in the fortress door, Superman is hit by an electric charge through the key that's powerful enough to hurt even him. So he busts his way through the door, where he's attacked by security robots. And But they're stronger than they used to be. 
After he takes them down, he's hit by a laser blast that is even strong enough to knock him around. As he recovers, kryptonite gas is released, weakening him enough for another robot to knock him into the disintegration pit. Fortunately, away from the gas, Superman starts to recover enough to stop his fall, although the, ro although the robot isn't quite so lucky. Once he recovers enough to fly out of the pit, Superman sees another robot heading towards him, but he just smashes through it as he enters the trophy room. While he's attacked by a giant jack-in-the-box from one of his run-ins with the Toy Man, the mysterious figure from earlier vows that Superman must not be allowed to interfere when ultimate power is so close to being achieved. After taking out an attacking robot dinosaur, Superman is upset when he sees that the commemorative statues of Jor-El and Lara have been destroyed. Flying through the monitor room, Superman sees that the other Justice Leaguers are also dealing with these computer problems. For example, we see Green Lantern saving a falling plane, Wonder Woman ripping open a, the door to a bank vault, and Flash running through a traffic jam. Entering the weapons vault, Superman begins to feel the effects of the mind molder, but is able to quickly take it out, because fortunately he was facing it when he started feeling the effects, he just had to fly in a straight line, then uses his super breath to destroy Brainiac's red sun simulator before it can weaken him. But then, Luther's killer robot, which originally fired kryptonite I-beams until Superman removed them, shoots him with kryptonite I-beams, because somehow they're back. As he weakens the rest of the weapons in the hall, aim at the Man of Steel and fire. But Superman shouts that he won't give in, and he yells loud enough that it destroys all of the weapons. Quickly recovering, Superman heads for the computer room, but has to take a quick detour to his interplanetary zoo to recapture some of the creatures that have been released. Soon he busts into the computer room and is shocked to see that the one behind all of this madness is none other than Brainiac, who takes the time to monologue that he had computed the possibility of his shrinking ray being used on him, as we saw last episode. So he built an automatic retrieval mechanism in his robot body to bring him back to regular size if he's ever shrunk. But his programming somehow malfunctioned, although we're not told how because things seem to be fine, so he went to the fortress for repairs, tapping into the computer system to cause it to open the door so he could get inside. While he's been connected to the supercomputer, he not only is being repaired, but he's also drawing knowledge from every computer system on Earth, which should upgrade his intelligence level from 12 to 20. Now, while he's been talking, he's caused the Phantom Zone projector to move behind Superman, but when he activates it, Superman is able to duck out of the way in time to prevent from being sent to the zone. Brainiac focuses all of the fortress's power into the Man of Steel, which will rip him apart. But Superman flies off at super speed to the Capella star system. See, he spent months trying to save the system's dying orange star, and now he can use his excess energy to rekindle it. Now, with that job done, Superman quickly returns to his fortress and uses his supervision on the supercomputer's console to reprogram Brainiac. With that, Brainiac thanks Superman for reprogramming him and heads off in his ship to undo every evil he's ever caused, leaving Superman behind to clean up the fortress. And after a couple more promos, we'll be right back with my notes for this issue. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. It was the dawn of the Third Age of Comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? 
to portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel. And more. SupermanHomePage.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. All right. Notes for this issue. Uh, let's see. First of all, I love. I actually love these types of stories where they start off where Superman's returning from a mission we haven't seen, and it's just kind of cool and gives a reason for him to be Superman without having to come up with a reason for Clark to need to change to Superman. It's kind of cool. It doesn't happen too often, but it does. Uh, page two. Uh, first of all, I'm not sure that he could really use his super breath to put the train back on the tracks, but comic book physics. The weird thing, though, was on pa- on panel four, where now in my notes I said he scanned the trains, but in the art it looks like he's literally flying through it even though everything's closed up. So either the inking covered up the door that's supposed to be open, or there's some kind of new superpower we've never seen before. Page three, I do like the fact that Superman has Lois's scream permanently tattooed on his mind. That's a nice little continuity nod. Uh, Marv Wolfman is very good with the continuity and odds with the continuity nods, especially when he's writing the pre-crisis Superman due to, you know, he's been such a Superman fan, so that is really cool. Uh, Page four. So Superman meets up with the president here, but in order to to keep this somewhat of a timeless classic, although the computer stuff is a little dated, we never see the president's face. He's covered in shadow the whole time. So are a couple of the... uh, military guys with him. I guess they're supposed to be his chief of staff guys. Uh, You only see faces on like two of them and half the face on the third one, but none of them are close enough that Swan has to worry about doing any likenesses. So that's kind of cool. Page five. Like I mentioned, Superman does technically use his JLA communicator. We don't see him talk to anybody, but when he's streaking over the skies of Moscow, uh, his hand is looks like it's pushing something on his belt buckle, which is where he keeps his JLA communicator. But due to one of Kurt Swan's frequent flying poses, that easily could have just been his hand there, you know, just 
where he holds it when he's flying. So it's very subtle. Page five, we've seen Superman do the whole take the explosion back in the time stream before, back when he had to take care of that huge explosion and bust it through different different points in time to lessen the blast, back when he met Joseph J. Jerome. Page six, it's nice to see a little cameo from Hawkman. Again, they're not really working together, but it's kind of cool to see another superhero and Hawkman doesn't look too terrible as drawn by Kurt Swan, at least not in the two panels he appear, or he appears in. Page 6 also starts the whole Superman entering the fortress. And it's interesting. I kind of hinted at it without really pointing it out, but everything that attacks Superman in the fortress is stronger than he had originally built it. There should be no electrical power in the fortress that's strong enough to bust him, to hurt him like this. Page seven, when he's fighting the security robots, they should not be strong enough to hurt him, and he's feeling these blows, unless there's something else affecting him. They don't actually say that there's anything else. I don't know how you could make a robot stronger just through computer programming, but whatever. Uh, let's see, and then there's this laser that's stronger than it used to be. I Now, I don't know why Superman would have kryptonite gas. My only guess is that somehow computer programming has altered it, or Brainiac left it there to slow him down. Either way, it's weird. Uh, he does do a good job, though, of keeping point of the fact that he, normally that the disintegration pit should not hurt him, but he wouldn't want to bet that it isn't strong enough to destroy him right now. Between being weakened by the kryptonite and the way that the previous objects were stronger than they used to be, he's pr he's pretty sure that he could be disintegrated. So that's kind of using his smarts there, so that's kind of cool. He stops himself by using his feet and hands to slow his descent. That would be a heck of a skin burn on his hands if he if his invulnerability wasn't kicking back in. And just barely, too. I mean, you can see the robot being disintegrated right below him. Uh, let's see. Now, after that, it, it's pretty cool on page 9 to see Superman not wanting to waste any more time and just bust through the next robot. And we don't even really see him taking care of this jack-in-the-box because it kind of happens... Well, technically it happens off-screen, but it's also on-screen because while it's shooting... It looks like machine guns or some kind of gun is shooting out of the eyeballs of the jack-in-the-box. While the floating figure that we know as Brainiac, uh, he's watching it on the monitor, and we see that Superman's melting the gun with gun barrel with his heat vision. So it's kind of cool to keep you in on the action, with, but also allowing the whole Brainiac scene to play in. So that's cool. So that's cool. Now, I've mentioned before, Superman does not normally get too angry during the Bronze Age. Uh, with the idea that with all the power he's got, if he gets mad, he may not be able to control himself or may accidentally do something without realizing it. So the fact that he gets so upset by the destruction of Jarrell and Lara's statues is cool. But he keeps calm about it. I mean, he's saying, he's trying to rile me, get me angry, furious. And I don't mind admitting he's succeeding in spades. But he never makes a mad face. He's, it's his normal Superman concentration face, but 
he never looks angry. Let's see. I like the effect of the mind molder. I don't know if this is part, if this was actually Swan and did it, or if they actually had some kind of special effect that they were able to use even back then. But he takes the tile floor and the weapons in the weapons hall here, and they're drawn into distorted wavy line fashion. But you can still tell what they are. It's it's pretty cool in an age when you didn't have those digital tricks you can use for that. Uh, another weird thing, and I don't know, I'm betting that this version is the more continuity correct. The cover of the issue so, shows the, super, the Luther bot with the kryptonite eyes being in the purple and green jumpsuit that Luther got in the 70s and has in the early 80s. But inside the fortress... Or inside the issue, he's in his prison jumpsuit, which I'm betting is probably correct, because I would imagine Luther making a robot with kryptonite eyes is probably Silver Age, which when his normal costume was his prison suit. Let's see. And then on page 12, this is really cool, uh, where Superman's not going to give in. It looks like he's starting to, but then he just shouts that he won't. It's convenient that the sound waves of his super scream destroy everything, but without destroying the rest of the fortress and bringing it down. But, you know, it it's Superman. Apparently, either Superman's interplanetary zoo only has five creatures in it now, or Brainiac only released five. It's not really made clear here. Uh, let's see. And then, of course, page 14 we get the shock of Brainiac's back. And I like the subtlety of through this, through this page where Brainiac is busy monologuing about how he came back, but you can see the Phantom Zone projector sliding around behind Superman, powering up, getting ready to fire, and then firing. I'm not sure how he does it, though, because... It's not connected to the, to anything, and it's just looks like the projector is on a stand with wheels. I'm not sure how Brainiac should be able to move it, but sci-fi, I guess. Why not? Uh, let's see. Now, this is a very pre-crisis thing where Superman would take the excess energy and fly to a whole different star system real quick to reignite a sun. I mean, it's still cool, and he saved 16 planets in the process, but yeah. Uh, then page 16, where it's subtle, it's very subtle. Superman returns to the fortress, and you see him hitting the computer console with one of his vision powers. It's not red, so you can be assured it's not heat vision, but you don't know which one it is beyond that. And then all of a sudden, Brainiac's just done, and you feel like somewhere in between these two pages, you've missed something which is actually kind of cool. And then, of course, on the next page, Superman has a thought bubble that points out that he reprogrammed him with his supervision. I don't know how that happens, but, you know, whatever. This actually does come back to bite Superman in the butt. I don't know that I'm going to cover that this time, uh, next time, but it does come back to bite Superman in the butt in, I believe, a three- or four-part story a couple years later. But uh, we'll get to that some other time.
And that's it for the story. Let's take a quick look at the ads. We haven't looked at too many ads from 80s comics yet. The inside front cover is for the Lego Expert Builder sets and the other builder sets that they make, that they used to make, uh, where you could use Lego pieces to create things like tractors and bulldozers and forklifts, race cars, go-karts, motorcycles, you name it. Uh, none of the stuff is pre-made, it doesn't look like, just completely building it on your own. Com in fact, this one, what is this, the, uh, this, this car, looks like it's going to be a Jeep when it's done. It's got piston motion, turning a crankshaft, working engine gears, rack and pinion steering system, two-speed adjustable transmission, a universal joint, soft tread rubber tires, adjustable seats, and, and shock absorbers. And this is 1980. It's uh, Legos are awesome. I don't have too many on my own of my too many myself, but they are pretty cool. Uh, next ad page is for the new Saturday morning lineup on ABC. Host uh, with Fonz being the one to go. Hey, it's me, the Fonz. Now catch my new show and my new friends every Saturday morning on ABC. Uh, all new is Superman, Batman and Robin, Wonder Woman, the Super Friends battle tough new challengers every week. I forgot what Aquaman. What the heck? Sorry to Rob Kelly that they forgot Aquaman. Speaking of Rob Kelly, I want to take a minute to point out that he's got this book, Hey Kids Comics, which I know sounds like a podcast title, but it's his book that he's finally got together with article with essays written by comics luminaries such as Paul Kupperberg and Robert Greenberger and it is currently on sale through Amazon. I suggest you check it out. It's really cool. It's all about memories of actually going to buy comics before there was such a thing as a comic store. So I highly recommend you check that out. Anyway, back to the ads. Uh, let's see. After Super Friends, there's also the Happy Days Gang traveling to different places in the in a time machine because you know when you think happy days you think time travel uh, Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo uh, are back with new episodes Richie Rich gets a cartoon uh, and then of course Heathcliff and Dingbat team up on a cartoon Plastic Man marries Penny and guess what they have a plastic baby and of course, the new show, Thundar the Barbarian. And don't forget to stay tuned for all new, all different, and exciting escapades on ABC's weekend specials and the music and fun of Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Saturday's best on ABC. Check your lo local listings for time and channel. I think it's pretty cool that the ABC logo is still exactly the same even back then. Next, uh, next page is an ad for Sea Monkeys. Which, again, is the same ad that they've been running forever, just the price keeps going up. I think I mentioned that last issue. Uh, the next ad page is a hostess ad. The Chocolate Baron, a crook whose love of chocolatey goodness has led him to monopolize everything chocolate he can control. Robot plane, circle the island until I need you. Soon I'll control everything that's chocolatey, and the great taste will be mine, all mine. Wonder Woman herself. Get her, boys. 
By Hera, I plan to stop your nefarious enterprise, and your bullets won't stop me. I came prepared. Hostess cupcakes. Oh, so chocolatey. Chocolatey cake. Chocolatey icing. You and your henchmen were easily taken, Baron. Taken with the chocolatey taste of Hostess cupcakes, your magic lasso compels me to speak the truth. You get a big delight in every bite of Hostess cupcakes. Next ad page is a uh, one of the, is a ad to sell stuff and get prices. These prices are kind of well, they're not really that cool. Uh, a spud gun, jackpot bank, two-way mirror. Learn how to throw your voice, exploding, uh, invisible, exploding gun, a bald headwig. You know, it's just gag gifts. Actually, it's not to sell stuff to get those. It's a catalog to buy them. Never mind. Sorry. Can't read my own ads. Next page is, uh, well, it's a full page of ads, but it's just two ads. The top half is to get you to sell grit. And the bottom half is for masquerade makeup kits. And of the ones that they show, they actually show some examples one looks like a psychedelic clown. One looks like a member of KISS. One looks like a green gorilla. And two of them look like... Oh, okay, I see how it's supposed to be. One is Native American, full makeup. And another one is like Native to... Like you would see from Africa. They call it blackface here. I can't... No, I don't know if they. If that's really what it should be called, but, you know, you know, big earrings, face paint, that kind of thing. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, next ad page is a hodgepodge ad featuring everything on how to make your own cartoons to also purchasing original cells and backgrounds. Uh, plus, you know, things like a flying helicopter, learn kung fu, learn self-defense, bodybuilding, more bodybuilding, Get a photo ID, genuine binoculars, three million comic bags. Wow, from Empire Comics in Rochester, New York. I believe that's still in business. Next ad page is the inside back cover uh, with monogram model semis. These are pretty long. These are 20-inch in length and the ones they show include trailers ones from Dairy Queen and ones from Cracker Jack and then the back cover is a Dingo Boots ad featuring OJ Simpson when he was with the 49ers so this would have been near the end of his career as a football player uh, we've got some letters None are by anyone that would later work in Superman comics, although one is by Al Schroeder III, who was a uh, well-known letter hack of the time. So there you go. Next up, let's look at elsewhere in the DC multiverse. Also, other issues with a December 1980 cover date. Batman number 330. Also written by Marv Wolfman, so he wrote at least two of the big three, uh, featuring Talia. 
And on the cover, you've got Robin giving Batman an ultimatum. Either she goes or he goes. And, of course, Batman, because he's thinking with the wrong head, says, bye, to Robin. Oh, well, he calls him chum on the cover, but, you know. DC Comics Presents number 28 features Superman and Supergirl teaming up against Mongol and the Menace of Warworld. I believe this would be the introduction of Mongol. Oh, nope. His first appearance was last. It was the previous issue. Yep. So this is the second appearance of Mongol, but it continues the story from the previous issue. Does that make sense? Same creative team, just different team up. And Flash number 292 features the Flash taking on Mirror Master. Plus, there's a Firestorm backup. Uh, Justice League of America number 185 features the team taking on Darkseid. Ooh, this is part of the uh, big JLA-JSA crossover where they get to meet up with the uh, whole fourth world characters drawn by George Perez. After, well, the first issue of the story, I believe, was by Dick Dillon, but then in the process of working on the second issue, he unfortunately passed away, so George Perez came on to finish and became the regular pencil, penciler for a while. But not too long, because he was kind of busy with this other book, which had its second issue released this month, New Teen Titans number 2 by Wolfman and Perez. And in this one, this would, of course, be the introduction to... Deathstroke. So, you know, it's kind of an expensive issue if you try to get it now. Superman number 354 uh, features Superman going up against an enemy with a, with a negative effect, which actually has a cool-looking cover, and introducing the and a backup feature that introduces the debut of Superman 3, Superman 2020, which would be the grandson, I believe, of our Superman growing up and being Superman in the year 2020. Yeah. Let's see. Wonder Woman number 274 features Wonder Woman in the story One Supervillain Made to Order. And that it, that story is written by Jerry Conway, so Marv Wolfman does not get to write the big three this month. Excuse me. Also, we get a backup feature uh, featuring the Power Girl and Hultress, and Hultress. Featuring Power Girl and Huntress. World's Finest number 266 is an issue I believe I've covered. Yeah, I did. Uh, this would be the uh, issue with the debut and last laugh of Lady, of Lady Lunar. Uh, relative to, of course, Moon Man. So, I believe that's the issue I've done before. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I've I covered that one before. Which is cool. Adventure Comics number 478 features Aquaman on the cover, and he has to choose. Will he save Atlantis from an invasion, or will he save 
the surface world from a nuclear attack. He can only save one. Which will he choose? And this is a beautiful cover by Rick Buckler, uh, by Rich Buckler and Dick Giordano. Wow, it's really nice. And Dick Giordano does the pencils for that story, so that's cool. Written by J.M. DiMatteis, so that can't be too bad. Uh, Brave and the Bold number 169 features Batman teaming up with Zatanna. Uh, Detective Comics number 497 has the title still continuing. It's basically it's the Batman family in Detective Comics form. Uh, no, it's not. Detective Comics number 497. The the backup feature gets the cover. After Batman has a bad night in Baja, we get the story of Bat of Barbara Gordon murderous. And I've seen this cover because this issue is part of an advertisement of this month in DC Comics that appears in the Superman issue of, well, in other issues that appear this month. Uh, not the action one that we just went over. Anyway, it uh, has, has Batgirl sitting silently in a cell while Commissioner Gordon, Batman, Robin, and an unnamed police officer check up on her. Drawn by Jim Aparo, so it's pretty awesome. In Green Lantern number 135, we have Green Lantern taking on Dr. Polaris. With a backup feature starring Adam Strange in the Zeta Bomb Maneuver. Legion of Superheroes number 270 featuring features the Legion trying to finding out who is the Dark Man. And New Adventures of Superboy, number 12. Uh, the main story of the issue features uh, Clark Kent, reluctant hero of Smallville. This is what happens when Clark thinks he's doing, he's making a save at invisible super speed without changing to a Superboy costume, but he his feet is still discovered and he becomes a hero. So he's got to try to make people think that he's not one. You know what I'm saying. And, and of course, the backup feature is Superboy's Secret Diary featuring the Day of the Alien Scoop, which I believe would be Perry White getting, this, getting the big scoop on saying that this new Superboy is, in fact, an alien. And our final superhero comic of the month, The Super Friends, number 39. The main feature is... The Super Friends against the future son of Overlord. And the cover just has uh, Batman looks like he's reading a magazine or comic. Aquaman's drinking some water. Superman is also reading the comic with Batman. Uh, let's see. Wonder Woman is knitting. And Robin is eating popcorn and watching TV. But the Wonder Twins have a backup feature. The Boogie Mania will get you. I ought to cover a Super Friends once. Be interesting. Anyway, that's going to do it for my part of the issue. Or my part of the episode. Next up, J. David Weeder has another story to tell you about Superboy and the Legion in the Bronze Age.
The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome once again to Superboy in the Bronze Age, the segment where I, J. David Weeder, look at the Bronze Age tales of Superboy alongside those 31st century heroes, the Legion of Superheroes. Well, at least for the moment, but more on, more on that at the end of the segment. This time around is a painful story entitled, Who Will Save the Princess? from the pages of Superboy, starring the Legion of Superheroes, issue 209. This is the June 1975 issue, and the story is by Jim Shooter, who writes, and Mike Grell, who draws... And the cover definitely catches the reader's attention. It depicts Karate Kid grasping onto two electrodes with energy coursing through him and Princess Projector is on the table in front of him. Superboy is bursting through the door marked Medical Laboratory and calls out to Karate Kid to stop what he's doing, but Karate Kid screams out that he can't stop. He must die to save Princess Projector's life. And the story begins with a breakneck pace as Timberwolf is watching Princess Projector's Legion transport coming in for a landing or a potential crash. Timberwolf realizes that the ship is out of control, and he grabs some cables and snags Projector's ship, bringing it to a safe landing. Karate Kid joins Timberwolf on the landing field, and they are both shocked when Princess Projectra stumbles out of the ship and collapses. Projectra is harder to say than you think, and is rushed to the sick bay, where Brainiac 5 explains that Projectra has a virus that causes intense pain for six hours, but the pain is so severe Nobody can survive it. Projectra is put on a machine that will divert her pain into another person, and the Legionnaires divvy up an hour of pain for her between themselves, joined by Saturn Girl, with Superboy en route from another planet to take on the last hour. No, wait, 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 whoa. We're four pages in, and I haven't taken a breath yet. I mean, this story just stomps on the gas pedal from the get-go and does not let up. Grell is on top of his game here. He's divvying up the first page amongst three panels, so you don't even need to read Jim Shooter's dialogue to know what's happening as the ship comes crashing in. And Timberwolf looks so good. All the characters do, but Timberwolf, you know, he's more refined than we've seen him before under Grell's pencils. And for his costume, typically it's a color choice that I just don't like, but, I mean, he's wearing brown and black. I mean, it's, I guess, ice cream color, caramel and chocolate, but in this case, Timberwolf really pops. Projector's open front costume pops too, but that's an entirely different thing. However, I think Grell has realized how awful Karate Kid's simple brown gi is because he's going to address that by the end of this story. So we have this intense setup with the Legion ready to step up to the plate, and that is what I love about the Legion. Pretty much every member is ready to lay down in front of a train for their fellow Legionnaires. And it's all Superboy's example, folks. And if we all followed that example, the future would be much brighter, don't you think? But back to my story here, where Timberwolf attaches himself to the machine to take on the first round and take on Projector's pain, and the intense pain drives Timberwolf crazy. I mean, he just goes into a straight-up berserker rage, starts tearing machinery apart, and then he goes after Karate Kid, slashing his brown uniform. Saturn Girl blinds Timberwolf, which allows Karate Kid to gain the upper hand and overpower Timberwolf. With his new costume shredded and Timberwolf in a containment field, Karate Kid slips into a new white karate gi, which looks spectacular, even with the disco collar. And Saturn Girl gets ready for her turn, thinking about the danger that she poses. 
because of her psychic powers, what if she takes over Karate Kid's mind and starts sending him around the room smashing stuff left and right? And what if she uses her psychic powers to order him to kill her because of the pain? However, it's all for naught because actually her round goes well thanks to being bound and gagged. And that sounded way more awkward than it actually is on the page. Let me explain. She's wearing a psychic dampener helmet and shackles. And Karate Kid's turn actually goes pretty smoothly thanks to his meditation, which is what Superboy finds when he finally arrives. We're almost there, and Timberwolf is the only mishap? Yeah, you don't think things are going to go smoothly from here. That's not much of a story. Superboy begins to take his turn. What can go wrong with Superboy? He's invulnerable, right? Aha! Because of Superboy's invulnerability, the pain won't transfer. So... That begs the question, Brainiac 5, who was on this other planet with Superboy, kind of advising the Legion from a distance, did Brainiac 5 not consider this? I mean, we're talking about Mr. I-know-everything-about-everything, and he didn't account for the fact that Superboy is invulnerable? Doesn't everyone know that Superboy is invulnerable? It's part of being Superboy, he's invulnerable. And wouldn't that, by sheer logic, I'm spitballing here, mean that pain wouldn't affect Superboy? It's not going to make him a very worthwhile individual for this particular round. Now, part of me has to wonder if Brainiac 5 just didn't care because whatever alien version of Duck Dynasty was on TV and he was missing it? Yeah, sure, send Superboy. I gotta get back to this. Happy, happy, happy. So now what? Superboy rushes off to look for something in the experimental lab because at this point he knows that Brainiac 5 is right in the middle of a marathon viewing of reality television. So Karate Kid comes out of his stupor and actually goes to take on a second round of pain but gets knocked out by an unseen person. Now, who could this be? Could Brainiac 5 have gotten his fill of reality television and rushed to the planet? Might we get a Chameleon Boy fake-out? I mean, those are pretty common. Or, and I'm hoping against hope here, could Wildfire have shown up ready to save the day? No. It's Dual Damsel. And I shouldn't sound disappointed, but, you know, Wildfire is like a cowbell. I could always use more. And Dual Damsel, because of her powers, is able to split herself. This means the pain gets split between two people. And it works. Princess Projectra is saved, she wakes up, she falls into Karate Kid's arms, and all is warm fuzzy. And as I stated, the most awesome aspect of the Legion, beyond the romantic partner switching, which is always fun, is that they throw themselves in front of a bullet for their teammates with no hesitation. That's what you want in a team, and this story showed that in Spade, as well as being a full-speed train ride of intense awesomeness. I was riveted. And bear in mind, there's no villain in the story. We're just dealing with a virus. Still, Shooter kept us on the edge of our seats. And Grell made a story with no action sequences fly right off the page. Just all around a solid Legion story, even if Superboy, you know, didn't have a lot to do. Now, I hinted at the top of the segment that the Legion may not be around for this segment for long. And in fact, next episode will be our last as we look at uh, issue 210. Reason being, in 2014, I plan to change my focus with my little segment on, on Superman and the Bronze Age away from Superboy for the first time. As such, next time around, we're going to cover our last Legion tale. And then for the remainder of the year, we'll be wrapping up the, po the pre-crisis Superboy story. For five episodes, we're going to witness the transition of Clark Kent from Superboy to Superman. Just to give a proper wrap-up to this as we cover Superman, the Secret Years, and a sister tale in the pages of Superboy's own book. So I'm very excited to see that. Um, kind of a nice bit of closure for this segment. And I certainly appreciate you all being along for the ride. And I'm looking forward to 2014. I'm not ready to announce what's going to happen there. But I assure you, I'll be presenting something very incredible from DC Comics. Well, until then, I am J. David Weeder saying, Long live the Legion. All right, that's going to do it this time. Next time, 
we're going to cover yet another fun, exciting adventure of Superman in the Bronze Age. Make sure you come back for that, and make sure you answer that question. What Bronze Age tale would be awesome as an animated so make sure you do that, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. Listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. <laughs> <laughs>